we plant, he grows. Shalom. Thank you for joining us for the sermon of Sunday, June 13th, 2021 from Christ Church, Jerusalem. We long for revival and to see the kingdom of heaven suddenly overtake the powers of this world. In the parable of the growing seed, Jesus teaches us that the kingdom grows slowly but surely under the sovereignty of God in partnership with his farmers. From 120 people on the day of Pentecost, the Jesus movement has spread to billions throughout the world in 2,000 years. Reverend Aaron Imey, on the third Sunday after Pentecost, encourages us to do our part in walking out our faith and planting God's seed for the Father's glory. Before we begin, anti-Semitism is spiking around the world. Anti-Semitic incidents went up 80% in the United States last month. It is imperative that Christians speak up on behalf of our Jewish neighbors. Education is a first step in preparing to speak out. Join David Pelegi in Poland as he looks at how hatred drove the Nazis to murder 6 million Jewish people, including followers of Jesus. We'll also look at how the Jews arrived in Poland and flourished there for a thousand years. Join David in Poland from August 9 through 20, 2021. We'll start in Warsaw and work our way to Krakow. We will visit medieval cities, castles, and churches to better understand the historical context of the Polish Jewish experience. We'll also touch on the Hebrew Christian communities that existed before World War II. It's not too late to join. Land cost is less than $2,000. Visit narrowbridgetour.com for more info. Narrowbridgetour.com Now, on to the lectionary readings. It was the waning days, the last days of the Israelite kingdom, when Zedekiah, the, uh, the king put in place by, by the emperor Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon after the first the first wave of exiles was taken away, had promised his sovereignty to, Bab- to the Babylonian king, <clears throat> and it was a, an oath he made before the Lord. And then he broke it by aligning himself with the king, the Pharaoh of Egypt. And so the Lord tells Ezekiel to present this prophecy, and I'm going to read a bit more than you see there. We'll start at the 19th verse. Therefore, this is what the Sovereign Lord says, as surely as I live, I will repay him, that is Zedekiah, for despising my oath and breaking my covenant. I will spread my net for him, and he'll be caught in my snare. I will bring him to Babylon and execute judgment on him there, because he was unfaithful to me. All his choice troops will fall by the sword, and the survivors will be scattered to the winds. Then you will know that I, the Lord, have spoken. And then he makes a promise. This is what the Sovereign Lord says. I myself will take a shoot from the very top of a cedar and plant it. I will break off a tender sprig from its topmost shoots and plant it on a high and lofty mountain. On the mountain heights of Israel I will plant it It will produce branches and bear fruit and become a splendid cedar. Birds of every kind will nest in it. They will find shelter in the shade of its branches. 
All the trees of the forest will know that I, the Lord, bring down the tall trees and make the low tree grow tall. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. A messianic prophecy, of course. I, the Lord, have spoken, and I will do it. This is the word of the Lord. The second reading is from 2 Corinthians, chapter 5, starting with verse 6. Therefore, we are always confident and know that as long as we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we live by faith, not by sight. We are confident, I say, and would prefer to be away from the body and at home with the Lord. So we make it our goal to please him, whether we are at home in the body or away from it. For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things done while in the body, whether good or bad. Since then, we know what it is to fear the Lord. We try to persuade others. What we are is plain to God, and I hope it is also plain to your conscience. We are not trying to commend ourselves to you again, but are giving you an opportunity to take pride in us, so that you can answer those who take pride in what is seen rather than in what is in the heart. If we are out of our minds, as some say, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For Christ's love compels us because we are convinced that one died for all and therefore all died. And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. So from now on, we regard no one from a worldly point of view. Though we, were, though we once regarded Christ in this way, we do so no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, the new is here. This is the word of the Lord. Our gospel portion is from the gospel according to Mark. Again, very familiar passages. Please stand. It's a tradition to stand in the presence of kings, especially when one is teaching us. The good news, according to Mark. He also said, This is what the kingdom of God is like. A man scatters seed on the ground, night and day. Whether he sleeps or gets up, the seed sprouts and grows, though he does not know how. All by itself, the soil produces grain. First the stalk, then the head, then the full kernel in the head. As soon as the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it, because the harvest has come. And again he said, What shall we say the kingdom of God is like? Or what parable shall we use to describe it? It is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds on earth. Yet, when planted, it grows and becomes the largest of all garden plants with such big branches that the birds can perch in its shade. With many similar parables, Jesus spoke the word to them as much as they could understand. He did not say anything to them without using a parable, but when he was alone with his own disciples, he explained everything. This is the word of the Lord. 
Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Right, it's exam time at the Anglican School. So you're ready for a quick quiz? Does anyone remember what season we're up into? Sorry? Summer, yes. <laughs> it was part of my ordinary time. Well done. Okay, excellent. I mean, most of you have probably forgotten the sermon from last week, I know. But did anyone remember the picture? Yeah, that's why visual aids are so good. <laughs> okay, no one has a clue what I said. But I remember the picture. Excellent. Yes, we are in ordinary time. From which, why do we call it ordinary? Ordinal numbers. So every time we stand up, we'll say it's the third Sunday in Pentecost because we have no other thing to call this day other than say, good morning. And we're green. It's, it's a color. Why not? All right. So having a look at the texts that are apportioned for our day, a lot of them have figurative language, metaphors and images, trees, plants, and they all talk about something that was small, inconspicuous, hidden, perhaps, but that grew to something that was open, something obvious, something strong that gave the attention to the Lord. And, uh, and that's when I wanted to look at our studies this morning. And see where we fit in, as small as we might think we might be. Yet, we're part of something much, much bigger. I was talking to some volunteers recently here at Christchurch. And they thought, have I, have I done anything? Have I had an impact? And I said, yes, of course. Because you might have only made coffee. You might have cleaned a dish, but you were part of something much, much bigger. Something that is effective and something that is giving the attention to the Lord. And that is a good thought. So having a look at the Ezekiel passage, uh, Daryl did an excellent job of putting it into context. Uh, so many times the lectionary just takes a, a verse out of context. Be very careful with that. But the metaphor is excellent. You have this uh, tree for whatever, whatever it is. It's a cedar. And the Lord takes the top part and replants this uh, offshoot, this little twig, this branch, or whatever you want to call it. God has the initiative. He sets about doing something. Yes, it's a very messianic passage. You can see that uh, the Messiah in this. Clearly, absolutely. Whenever you read a portion of Scripture, the, the Jewish exegesis will always say there's a minimum of four levels of reading. So one is it's going to be the, uh, the Peshat, the simple, the literal. But then there will always be the allegory, the hidden meaning, the personal application, and something messianic and mysterious. So yes, it also is a symbol of the Messiah. Israel had failed in its calling. The temple of God is going to be destroyed. 
What a theological shock for a lot of people. But God was going to take the initiative and plant again something that would grow, that would give honor to him. Because what was Israel's calling? One of her callings. What was one of Israel's callings? To be a light to the nations. Just for the sake of being a light, for the sake of and the honor of God. God, in his wisdom, chose Israel to reveal himself to the world. Why did he do that? I don't know. But he did. Think about it. Could God reveal himself to everyone on the planet if he chose to do so? The answer is, yes, of course. How does he want to reveal himself to the world? Through us. Why does he like to do that? Initially, I don't know. But it is part of his character. He enjoys, he delights in revealing himself to man through man. Now that is incredibly wonderful. He could easily just say, Aaron, sit down, relax, grab a cup of coffee. I've got it covered. Reveals himself to everybody. Next week, church is full. Maybe. That's not what he says. Welcome, brother. Come in. This branch that the Lord takes from the cedar starts off small. Starts off inconspicuous on a high hill. But it grows to something majestic that turns and gives honor back to the sovereign God. And the Lord, in his sovereignty, deliberately chooses, deliberately plants, deliberately nurtures, and deliberately cares, and watches it grow to his delight. And so it can be the Messiah, absolutely. But it can also be you and me be the church. What do I mean by that? Oh, you put up last week's. <laughs> in the garden, no, not in the garden, in the parables that are presented to us, as we are going into ordinary time, we're going to be reading through uh, the Gospel of Mark. That's the text that we study for, this, for the majority of this year, year B. Uh, for those that don't know, we have three years in the lectionary, A, B, C. In A, we read Matthew, in B, we read Mark, and in C, we read Luke. And John's thrown in there between all three. So at the end of three years, you've done all, all the Gospels, you start again. It's a very Jewish thing to do. As we begin this season now, or as we enter into this season, we're going to be reading lots of parables. So what are parables? Parables are a unique Jewish literary device that are only found in the Gospels and in rabbinic literature. You do not find parables in the Gospel of John. There are no gospel, uh, parables in Paul. 
There's no parables in Greek literature. There are no parables in Jewish literature outside the land of Israel, like uh, in Philo or in Josephus. Parables only exist in the Gospels and in rabbinic literature. It is a unique device to this land. Yet, parables never mention ethnicity. A farmer goes out to plant. Is he a Jewish farmer? Is he a Gentile farmer? Is he Canaanite? No parable ever says that. It's just the farmer. What land? Is it the land of Israel? Is it the land of Canaan? Is it the land across the Jordan? No, it's just a field. The parables across the board do not give you ethnicity. They don't give you a place. Yet, they are only found here. Isn't that interesting? Steve Notley, a great professor um, who actually helped start Shoresh, the ministry that's here, he collected all known parables that there are. He, put, he found them all, and he put them all into a book, all 436 of them. And they are all in Hebrew. There is not one parable in Greek. There is not one parable in Aramaic. Even though in the texts around the parables, particularly in rabbinic literature, it's in Aramaic. Aramaic, 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 suddenly Hebrew. Back to Aramaic. Why? I don't know. But isn't that interesting? Parables, no ethnicity, nothing to do with the land, but are only in the land and are only in Hebrew. Interesting. So, what language did Jesus teach his parables in, I wonder? Yes, <laughs> absolutely. It is true, he may have and most likely had Aramaic as a daily vernacular. That is true. But when he sat down to teach, he would have taught in Hebrew. And a lot of the parables have their play words only in the Hebrew language. Hebrew was not dead at the time of Jesus. So many people like to think that. So here we have these two parables, the growing seed and uh, the, uh, the mustard seed. And I did look for an image. I did look for an icon that I was going to be happy with to, to present, seeing as how it's the only thing we remember, really. Um, but I couldn't find one. However, what I, uh, what I did find is there's a church in Russia that inside their little church, they have the entire Gospel of Mark on the walls around the entire church. So that if you don't know how to read, and a couple of hundred years ago, not a lot of Russians did, you could go to church and you could tell your son, okay, son, let's go. Let's do the story. Start here. We'll go right around. And uh, I had a look. And the parable of the growing seed, because it's only in Mark, that's a unique, unique story just to Mark. It's just Jesus standing next to a tree. And I thought, oh, it's not really eye-catching. But the church is pretty beautiful. So look it up. Have a look. All the images are there. You can do a nice 360 of, uh, of the church. But you have uh, an image in this parable. 
of a man who plants seed. And then it grows. He has no idea how. Now, of course, we know now how things grow, but the farmer does not. And the, and the, and the harvest comes. And so here we have a little story from the kingdom of heaven. Most people, most of us, really, really like or would prefer to see revival and explosive, dynamic growth. Who does not want to see that? We all want to see it. We pray for it. But yet, what is the thing that actually endures? We've had revivals before. People name them. Azusa Street, and the Welsh Revival, and this, that, and the Revival. But something has endured despite revivals. And it's us. Something started so small, inconspicuous, hidden, not dynamic, and yet it was unstoppable. Something started small and grew to give God adoration and glory and honor. Uh, there was a bishop, and for the life of me, I cannot remember which one it was. It's an early one, maybe Ambrose. He was the guy who helped Augustine get on track. He was debating some Greek philosophers, and they were saying, prove to us that God exists. What's your proof? And he went, us, the church. You really think that this started from nothing and we all believe nothing and we're gathering together every day to pray and praise nothing? So it defies reason. Now, whether that's a good argument for the church, I'm not 100% sure, but it does show something that's unstoppable. A small seed, a small group of, of Jewish believers in Jesus took the good news around the world and it continued to grow and it continued to grow no matter how many times the birds of the air tried to come down and eat those seeds. They got a few, of course they did. But all that did was make more. It's incredible. What an amazing story. And what is the job of this church? Is it just to build hospitals and schools and sing Kumbaya? As David really likes that song, he mentions it nearly every sermon, doesn't he? No, it's to give God the glory. When we gather, what was one of the first things we did after we had asked for the Spirit to prepare us to worship? We turned around and gave him the glory. Sometimes we do it through a Byzantine prayer called the Gloria, which was an ancient, ancient prayer. For those that don't know which one that is, that's the one that says... Um, uh, peace on earth to, to men whom he loves. It's the voice of the angels in Luke when they visit the shepherds. The uh, Byzantine community decided that that was a good way to start giving God glory. Glory to God in the highest. Sounds like a good idea. 
Then they threw in some revelation, added in a bit of Psalms and, and some Isaiah, and then before you know it, we've got ourselves a, a Byzantine prayer. But it's to give God the glory. And there's a reciprocal relationship in it. This farmer plants the seed. Now, in Ezekiel, it was the Lord. The Lord took something, and he planted it, he nurtured it, he made sure it grew, he made sure it turned into something majestic and gave him the glory. In the gospel parable, in the kingdom of heaven, this small thing is started by a farmer, a normal person who has no idea how this thing works. Does anyone here know how the Holy Spirit woos and saves people? We don't. We believe it. But we don't actually know how it works. We don't need to. Does God need to use the farmer? No, of course not. He could do it. Just like we see in the prophet. And maybe because, it's, because that is a messianic prophecy, it is God's initiative. But after this Messiah has ripened, after this Messiah has ascended, turns around to some humans and says, now you go into the world. You go tell them about me. And you teach them to obey everything that I have commanded. So there's this reciprocal relationship. Somehow we are saved and redeemed by the blood of the Lamb and then given a task. I am a Sheep, at the same time, I am a shepherd. That sinner-saint paradox. I am a sinner, saved by grace, and yet I am also a saint. How does that work? I am a bearer of righteousness, yet I am clothed in unrighteousness. I am a, a mortal, and yet immortal. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. It's still me which is a very interesting thing. And so Paul says in his epistle, we have confidence. doesn't actually say what. Confidence. We are confident. Confident of what? Well, confident in everything. Not that I'm going to pass my exams or, or get a really nice coffee at the end of the, of the day, but confident that the Lord is doing his, his job. He is planting seeds. He is making sure those seeds are planted And when they are, he nurtures them. He surrounds them with his protection. He makes sure that they flourish to give glory to him. Now, it's not perfect. I'm not going to say that the church is perfect, because it's not. But it gives him the glory every day. Somewhere in the world, I mean, obviously right here, but after we finish... Somebody else is starting somewhere. Isn't that an interesting thought? While we sleep, somebody gathered and said, let's praise the Lord. Let's read his word. Let's, let's minister to each other. If you're crying, I will cry with you. If you're laughing, I will laugh with you. If you need some help, I will, I will reach into my pocket and help. That's occurring everywhere. We built hospitals, we built schools, we sent missionaries, they died, we buried them, we sent more. This little seed that started so inconspicuous in the land of Israel flourished. And why does it look the way it does? 
part of the plan. I've been living here for 22 years. And uh, as Roddy knows, there's always been a little tension between Jews and the church. And it only gets worse when they're messianic. But I got to tell you, let's just pretend that every single Jewish person on the planet became a believer in Yeshua today. Gentiles are going to outnumber them 100,000 to one. It's always going to look like this. That doesn't make it perfect. God is perfect. But God is here. His seed has done, it has grown, it has taken his message. We will not stop. And Paul encourages us not to stop. And he uses this interesting phrase. We walk by faith and not by sight. So it's now when we take our glasses off and prove to you that we don't walk by sight. That's not what he means. And it's not to do with, I believe in God because I can see him. If you're in Jewish literature, the word to walk is halacha, to walk out. It, it, it relates to a code of conduct and behavior. Our code of conduct and behavior is based on faith, not in something that we see. People have seen miracles and their conduct has not been very good. Or three disciples watched Jesus on the transfiguration and still ran away at the cross. Seeing a miracle does not help you. Whenever Paul did a miracle in the book of Acts, guess what happened to him? He got beaten up. When he didn't do a miracle, guess what happened? He planted a church. You can almost imagine Paul coming in, got a new plan for you. Can you heal this boy? Can I do it out the back? Oh, I don't want anyone to see. Maybe Yeshua did the same thing. Often he would do a lot of his miracles in secret. Everyone close the door. We'll go upstairs and do a healing. Sometimes his miracles were in public. The Greek for uh, when the seed grows is automos, automatic. You share the word of God. You share the truth of the scriptures. And as the, as the word says, my word will not return to me void. It is automatic. It is inbuilt into the truth. It is not a lie. And you can't defeat the work of the Spirit. The enemy comes in and he tries to kill us. Sometimes he succeeds. And yet that does not stop the church, does it? In fact, it's the opposite. We all know that phrase. The blood of the martyrs is... Seed of the church. I remember when I was doing a Bible study in the book of Acts, and we get to Stephen, 6 and 7. Stephen dies, start a revival. Well, there's a good mission plan for you, isn't it? Okay. Who would like to go plant a church? Everyone goes, yes, I would. Who wants to die? No, no, seriously. You, you die, you get a horrible death, we'll tear you apart, we'll, we'll plant a church. Might even call it after you. But you can't stop this thing. These parables are so, they're so gentle, and yet they are so powerful. The farmer plants, he has no clue what's happening, but it's unstoppable. And then the harvest is ready, and he begins. And the little mustard seed 
so small, so inconspicuous, and yet so powerful with taste and smell and shelter and size and wonder. We are told to walk by faith, not sit by faith. We are told to walk by faith. And so our trust, emunah, faith, emunah, is both faith, belief, trust, faithfulness, obedience. We have a king who's so uh, intelligent, so thoughtful, so powerful, he has decided that this is the best way in his creation to reveal himself. And he delights to reveal himself in us. Now that's actually quite a nice comforting thought. So he's chosen you, he's chosen me, and our job is to plant those seeds and watch. But we walk while we're watching. We don't sit and watch, we walk in obedience. In halakha, we have a, uh, how do we walk out our faith? Don't lie, don't steal, don't cheat. The thing that we're part of is trying to give honor and glory to God. So it needs to reflect his character and characteristics. So we urge each other on to run the race. When we fail, we berate ourselves, we confess, we encourage each other, we point out our sins to each other. Not in a nasty way, not in a judging way. But to say, guys, we have to try and reflect God's character. That might not have actually done it. Let's try again. Let's love a little bit more. Let's pray a little bit more. Let's give a little bit more. Let's, let's uh, be more, more, more compassionate. Let's build an extra hospital and run an extra, extra school. It's working together. And it's unstoppable. Now we have the Holy Spirit to share. We have the Word of God. It's an incredible treasure. We have each other to encourage. You and I are already part of this growing thing. And it's good. We might ourselves be small. I am one of two billion people. How's that? But when I was in Australia and I was running a pub, that's what good Christians do in Australia, and I was about to leave, it shocks Americans. They're like, what? You know, I bet you play Dungeons and Dragons too, you pagan. Okay, well, whatever. I was about to leave to go on this grand adventure which ended up coming here. And a lot of them were saying, aren't you a bit scared, Aaron? You know, where are you? You're going to arrive in these different cities and, and countries and you're going to be go away for so long. I said, you know what? I'm part of the biggest gang in world history. There's two billion people in my gang. It doesn't matter where I go. You and I find brothers and sisters. They're everywhere. They don't always speak the same language. I've been in churches in Spanish and not known a single thing that's been going on. I've been in churches in China and I have not got a clue what's going on. But I can sense the spirit. I can stand there and smile and, and, and pray and, and, and hold my Bible and go, they're holding on to the same word of God as me. They're worshiping the same God as me. They share the same spirit as me. 
That little seed that started so long ago is now split into so many and it's absolutely incredible. I don't know how it worked, but it did. And perhaps that really is the proof that it's true. Because you can't stop this thing. And boy, that's good news. And I bet the enemy is so scared. The part of the biggest gang in all history. But our job, the one that was there in Ezekiel and the one that's here in the Gospels, our job is to give the honor and glory to the Lord. We do what we do, not for self-grandizement. We walk by faith, not because we want a high position, but we simply act in obedience to a king as he is expanding his kingship. And he is a good king. As we go through the Gospels, we're going to see how good he is. He will heal. He will bind up that which is broken. He will repair that which has, has fallen down. He'll pick it up and make it stronger. When you're lonely, he'll be there to whisper in your ear and say, I'm close. And when you're tired, he'll say, I will breathe my spirit on you and you will have strength. And when it's time for us to lie down and give our final breath, just like Stephen, Jesus will stand up and receive us. And oh my gosh, that's also good news. We can also die well. And perhaps that will also then plant more seeds. Brothers and sisters, as we journey out today, you are not alone. You are part of something bigger, something that started so small, but that is, and we are part of something that gives honor and glory back to the Lord. Let us walk by faith, but it's still a walk. It's not works righteousness, it is obedience to this good king. And as we gather to worship in the coming seasons, let's listen to his word, his teaching, and be inspired by it reinvigorated by it, filled up with passion once more to go out into a day, plant some more seeds, some more seeds that will grow to the honor and glory of God's name. Amen. The prayer for the day in the prayer book, some great prayers. And I like this one because it acknowledges who gave us that initial life in a little, in a little seed? It's actually not in your uh, uh, service sheets. I'll pray it from the prayer book. But it, des it, 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 it uh, describes how God has given us breath and that in turn I want that desire to match him so that I can continue to walk out my faith with his blessing that will uh, grow his church. So would you close your eyes and pray with me? Almighty God, you alone gave us the breath of life. And you alone can keep alive in us the holy desires that you impart. And so we beseech you for your compassion's sake to sanctify all our thoughts, all our endeavors, that we may neither begin an action without a pure intention, nor continue an action without your blessing. And grant that having the eyes of our mind enlightened to behold things invisible and unseen, that we may in heart be inspired by your wisdom, in work be upheld by your strength, and in the end be accepted as your faithful servants through Jesus the Messiah, our Savior. Amen.
Thank you for listening. If you've been blessed by this teaching, let us know by leaving a comment on our Facebook page, on SoundCloud, or by leaving a review in Apple Podcasts. You can offer practical support by giving a donation at ChristChurchJerusalem.org. Thank you, and blessings from the City of the King.